Please open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. It's on page 72 if you're using the church Bibles. The Ten Commandments began with dealing with matters of the heart, targeting things like idolatry and having other gods. And then it turned to our words, not using the Lord's name in vain, not bearing it in vain. It's focused on actions for the middle section. And now at the end, it sort of returns to where it started. We again focus on our words, now not bearing false witness and then ending where it began with a focus on the heart, not coveting. Often, breaking the other commandments lead to breaking the ninth commandment, lying, which we are focusing on this morning. You do one thing and then lie to cover it up. Um, I suppose crime and punishment is a great illustration of that if you've read that novel. We're going to read all of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 1 through 17, but we're going to be focused this morning on verse 16. We're nearly at the end. Hear now the reading of God's law. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. This act on three truths. The first is that God is the truth. The second is that God, the judge of all the earth, does what is just. And the third is that we are called to bear true witness to our neighbors. First, we begin by focusing on God's own character. God is the truth. God is the truth. When comments on this command, he begins by noting that the command is rooted and grounded in God's own character. Since God, who is truth, abhors a lie, 
we must practice the truth without deceit toward one another. That about sums it up. God is the truth, and therefore we must practice the truth without deceit. Let's unpack that logic a little bit. The Westminster Larger Catechism in question 7, it, it describes all the various attributes of God, and it concludes that list of attributes by saying God is abundant in goodness and truth. That is to say, truth is one of God's attributes. It's one of his characteristics. It's something that describes God's fundamental nature. The words God speaks are true, but God himself is also true. We see this in Scripture. In John 17, Jesus has this prayer for his disciples. It's a whole chapter long, uh, right before his arrest at the Last Supper. And he begins that prayer like this. He prays to God, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's kind of the key verse for this uh, point, John 17, 3. God is the only true God. God is true. There's a reality to him that other so-called gods don't possess. There's a truth to him. God is ultimate, self-existent, eternally consistent. That's the point God made to Moses at the burning bush. Remember when Moses asked for God's personal name, God responds, I am who I am. Or the words can just as easily mean I will be who I will be. On the one hand, he's saying you can't categorize me with a sort of scientific genus and species taxonomy. Okay, I don't fit in one of the kingdoms of animalia or mammals or all, you know, whatever those things are. The kids will correct me later. But uh, at one hand, God doesn't fit in that. And yet on the other hand, he's saying, I am who I am. I'm consistent. I'm faithful over time. I am true. God is the absolute, ultimate, highest, eternal sense. And what God says is also true. So Jesus, a little later in his prayer in John 17, asks his Father, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. How could it be any other way? If God is himself absolute, ultimate, self-existent, eternally consistent, then whatever he says about himself is true. And if God is the creator of all things, who sustains all things, Whatever he says about the world is by definition true because the world is the way it is because he said it should be that way. And if he's the one who made all the world and put us in it, then whatever commands he gives us for living in the world are therefore also true. We can see this point from the flip side, that God is the truth by considering God's relationship to lies. In Titus 1-2, Paul says, We have the hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In fact, in Hebrews 6, we read, it is impossible for God to lie, because God is the truth. And so we see this attitude reflected in the way God thinks about, or, or, or this truth reflected in God's attitude towards our lies. Proverbs 6 says, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. 
says lies in God's sight are just like violence. One is an assault on someone else physically. Another is an assault on the truth itself. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Psalm 5, 6, you destroy those who speak lies. O Lord, you abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God hates lying, and for the strongest possible reason, because it's contrary to his very nature. And so, therefore, hates lying, we should be committed to the truth. God is the truth, and as Jesus said in John 17, Jesus Christ comes to bear witness to that truth. At the end of that prayer, Jesus is arrested uh, and tried in a number of courts, and when he appears before Pilate, the Roman governor, Pilate asks him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate, uh, feeling himself under pressure, responds, What is the truth? But here is deep irony. Pilate asks, What is the truth? When the truth itself, truth incarnate in the flesh, stands right before him. And so the ninth commandment actually takes us right to the heart of Advent. Jesus came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus came to show us truth about God and ourselves. God is the truth, and as John says at the beginning of his gospel, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, that is, the Son of God, has made him known. We know the God who is truth through Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the one mediator between God and man. So Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the truth. And the second person of the Trinity, the Son, was incarnate. Remaining fully God, he also became human. Why? To make a way for us to come back to God who is the truth, and in that truth be set free and enjoy life true life, eternal life. That's the good news of Christmas. Through Jesus, there's a way for you to know God himself, the truth. There's a way for you to be set free as you come to know the truth, as the truth of God dwells richly within you. And so in a somewhat unexpected way, Christmas is the ultimate context for making sense of the ninth command. It's the starting point for what it means to not bear false witness, to practice the truth. Let's turn then back to the ninth command. And here we see a second truth. The judge of all the earth does what is just. The judge of all the earth does what is just. I realize that's a bit of a cryptic point and a little bit longer than normal kids, but bear with me for just a moment and I hope it will become clear. That phrase itself is actually taken from Genesis 18 when Abraham's talking to God there. You may have noticed this command is a little bit longer than the ones before it. You shall not 
murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and now it's you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why doesn't it just say you shall not lie? Well, because in the first instance, bearing witness is what happens in a court context. It's saying don't give false witness against your neighbor in court. I think the command focuses on uh, truth in the context of the court because it's where truth matters the most. It's where lies can cost lives. It's where lies can defraud and malign others. Proverbs recognizes this. Proverbs 14.25 says, A truthful witness saves lives. By implication, a lying witness destroys lives. 1 Kings 21 illustrates that point. I'm not going to tell the whole story now, but the wicked king Ahab uh, covets his neighbor Naboth's vineyard. And so his wife Jezebel comes up with a plot to get the vineyard, and it involves bearing false witness against him in court so that he's put to death so that they can steal his vineyard. In court, truth matters the most because lying is damaging and even deadly. And it's the case in our day as well as in ancient Israel. Witnesses in court then are sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You may also have noticed for the first time in the Ten Commandments, we find an explicit reference to the neighbor. Uh, you could have said, uh, Moses could have said, you shall not murder your neighbor, uh, you shall not steal from your neighbor, those sorts of things. But here is the first time the neighbor is explicitly referenced. And that's because it's drawing attention to the impact that lying has on the larger community. We like to think, well, it's just something I did and no one's ever going to know about it. What does it matter? But the reality that Moses is drawing attention to, indeed God's drawing attention to in this command, is that lies are a bit like acid, that they erode community over time. You know, when you open up something, the remote control or something, and the batteries have gone bad, and you get that acid in there, and it corrodes things, and the terminals don't work anymore. I mean, that's a bit what lies are like. It may be hidden under the surface. You don't see it. But the corrosive effect deteriorates the fabric of community. Lies undermine corporate structures of justice. But this point isn't just about what happens in the courtroom. As Abraham recognized, all of life is lived before the judge of all the earth. And so, in a sense, the entire world is like a courtroom. Not to say you're always on trial, but rather we should be as serious about the truth in every single spot in life as we are if we were sworn under oath in a courtroom. If there is ultimately the judge of all the earth watching everything, then we're ultimately liable to that judge. There can't be grades of truthfulness depending on context. Okay, you can't say, well, I tell the truth when I'm at the Supreme Court, but then I walk down the Capitol Mall, whatever it's called, to the legislative branch, and now I can lie because I'm in a different setting. That's absurd. All of life is lived before the judge of all the earth. So Jesus teaches his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount don't even bother making oaths. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. A simple no, I didn't do that, or yes, I did that, should be just as reliable as being sworn in under oath. Being committed to the truth is the foundation of community. Friendship, relationship, it all depends on speaking truthfully with one another. Well, what is a lie then? Augustine said, lying is speaking falsehood with the intention to deceive. 
Uh, that's a workable definition even if there's room for quibbling. A falsehood with the intention to deceive. But the truth is we are so prone to lying or bending the truth or omitting key facts that the Westminster Larger Catechism in its two questions on the Ninth Command identifies 60 different implications of what it means not to bear false witness. Things like not engaging in lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tail-bearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, or rash speech. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all 60 kind of like we did uh, last week. Calvin says the Ninth Command even forbids fawning politeness barbed with bitter taunts under the guise of joking. That's, he could be living in our day. Uh, fawning politeness barbed with bitter taunts but then saying, well, I was just kidding. I'm just joking. I don't actually mean that. The Westminster Standards uh, identify 60 implications, but has two basic ideas. That this command is about preserving and promoting the truth and the good name of our neighbor. Preserving and promoting the truth and the good name of our neighbor. So we ought to speak the truth, but we ought to have a concern for our neighbor's good name as well. Holding them in charitable esteem and covering up their infirmities. That doesn't mean a sort of cover-up where you hide that someone has done something illegal. That would be lying. But rather it means you might be aware of your neighbor's failings, but that doesn't mean you need to go around broadcasting it to the whole neighborhood. Emphasize the good things about your neighbors, even if they have a variety of failings. It means we shouldn't gossip or slander. It means we need to be careful about how we use social media. Okay, we shouldn't just share news stories or, or other sorts of stories without verifying them just because it supports our narrative or our opinion about things. So two tests we should ask ourselves then about our words and our thoughts. First, is it true? Is it true? Bavink says, be, uh, Herman Bavink, the Dutch theologian, says, be true when you think and when you speak. Uh, when we're uh, interacting with someone else, we're communicating with someone else, we should ask, how can, I best how can I understand what they're saying in the best light or their actions in the best light? What's the worst light and what's the most likely? Okay, don't just jump to the worst. Like I think, um, I'll pick on Tom for a second. You know, I, I think poorly of Tom and so I hear that he did something. I think, oh, that's just typical Tom. He always does that sort of terrible thing. And then you can find out, well, actually, there's a good excuse that he was speeding. It's, you know, he's getting to the hospital for an emergency or something like that. And, uh, you know, what's the, actually, I'll tell you a different illustration. This isn't in the notes, and I might get in trouble. But uh, when we lived on Whidbey Island, we had a friend who lived near us, and he took his bicycle to work at Boeing. And he said, I always make up these stories about, you know, cars that are driving a little bit too fast or whatever. And I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's a doctor who's got to get to the emergency room. Maybe it's this or whatever it is. And so telling these stories about things. And then he said, and then I realized one of the cars is your commuter car that he would see in the morning speeding and that he was telling stories about. So uh, we appreciated that he told himself a good story about us uh, speeding to get to the ferry uh, in the morning. Uh, so the first test, is it true? You know, is this plausible? Is it believable? Is it true? Should I, do I actually believe this? If not, don't, don't speak it, don't share it, don't think it. But second, are these words building up or tearing down. What we need to speak is true, but also needs to be building up. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits that occasion, that grace may be given to those who hear. 
Okay, there's corrupting talk that tears down, that erodes, but then there's building up talk. So we need to ask ourselves, am I depriving my neighbor of their good name, or am I protecting their good name? An older lady who lived with my family when we were growing up used to say, everything you say must be true. That's the first test. But not everything true must be said. That's the second test. Am I actually building up with this, or is it something that can just be left unsaid? Um, you understand there's cases where we need to speak the truth and it may be damaging, but, but in general speech, everything you say must be true, but not everything true must be said. Uh, part of why we lie is because our disordered loves lead us to lie. We love the wrong thing, or we love things that are right, but in a wrong or disordered way. We love ourselves too highly, so oftentimes we lie to protect ourselves. We love our neighbor's things, so we lie to steal them. Uh, you know, we love our own good name, so we lie and put others down. But Jesus says in John 8 that the truth will set you free. Part of what he's getting at there is when you live, not just the truth, telling the truth, but when you live in the truth, God himself, when through his spirit, his truth lives in you, you're set free because your loves start to be ordered in the way they ought to be. Our relationships are reordered. Our loves are reshaped. If God has given us his own son, why would we be greedy for our neighbor's car or house or whatever? We've already been given God's own son. If you, when you were a sinner, at your most miserable, were loved by God so much that he gave his only son and his son gave his life to save you, then why do you need to lie to make yourself look better? God knows what you're like at your absolute worst. When you think murderous thoughts that no one even knows you're thinking because you're so upset, God knew that, and he still loved you. And so you don't need to lie to try and make yourself look better. Being in the truth, having that truth of the gospel in you, it undoes the motives that we have so often for lying. I packed in a lot of Christmas carols, so we're running late. Question, is it ever permissible to lie? There are a few cases in the Bible where lying seems to be permitted but it's always for the sake of a higher value, that is to say, to protect lives. So the Hebrew midwives earlier in Exodus that we looked at, they lie to protect the babies, but they're not just lying to protect their name or you know, their reputation, something like that. So uh, it, the only times it ever seems to be permitted is to protect life, and in those cases, it doesn't mean lying suddenly becomes a good thing, but rather it's a sort of permissible evil. You can catch me during coffee time if you want to chat more about that. But the third thing I want us to consider together is the positive fulfillment of this command. Okay, all the world should be like a courtroom to us in terms of we should speak as if we're under oath, that we should take our words seriously. We should be careful about the words we speak and measure them. But then God himself is the truth and he sent his son Jesus Christ who came to show us the truth and we are called to participate in that mission. So we consider the positive fulfillment of this command is we are called to bear true witness to our neighbors. We're called to bear true witness to our neighbors. If God is the fundamental truth of reality and Jesus comes to bear witness to that truth, leaving out this key fact that the God of all things sent his son to make a way for you to have a relationship with him, leaving out that key fact is false witness. Now, not every true thing you know needs to be said in every single situation. 
Okay, when you sit down on a plane and you say to your neighbor in the seat next to you, um, when I was 14 I had my appendix out and I'm allergic to penicillin, uh, you know, and I get migraines periodically. Uh, that's oversharing. You don't have to share those truths with your neighbor. But if you're in the doctor's office and the doctor's getting your medical information and you don't tell them about getting your appendix out, your allergy to penicillin, your uh, regular migraines, you're omitting key facts that are relevant to that situation. Uh, and kind of in a similar way, we need to be conscientious of the context that we're in. But to put it simply, we bear witness by our words and lives, and therefore Christians lie to the world when either our words or our lives give the impression that there is no judge of all the earth who does what is just, and therefore we bear false witness. When we bracket God out, you know, uh, we put him on the side when we're negotiating business contacts, or when we're out on a date, or when we're taking tests for the students. When we say, yeah, God's basically irrelevant in this context, I can cheat because that's just how you do school, that sort of thing. When you bracket God out, you're bearing false witness. But bearing true witness is speaking the truth. We herald good news to others. That's what Isaiah 40 calls us to, to speak words of comfort. The Greek word for witness is the word, we get our English word martyr from the Greek word for witness. The fundamental idea of a martyr is not martyrdom, dying, but rather it's living as a faithful witness, even to the extreme, even if it means being a faithful witness to the point of death. Bearing true witness to our neighbors then means sharing the good news with them as the context, you know, it's appropriate in that context. It means talking Jesus to our neighbors. It doesn't need to be forced or awkward, okay? It's not like talking about your appendix surgery to the neighbor on the flight. Uh, but if this is the fundamental truth of our life, that we have a way to know God and that that has changed who we are, that should come up in our conversations. Talking Jesus doesn't need to be complicated or intimidating. The gospel message, the good news about Jesus, needs to answer three basic questions. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And how does Jesus call us to respond? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? How does he call us to respond? Of course, those questions have a multifaceted answer uh, and different contexts, different conversations, different aspects of that will be uh, emphasized. But we've actually already answered all three of those questions this morning. Who is Jesus? He's the true word of the true God, the second person of the Trinity, who became a human through the incarnation, is now fully God, fully man, the one mediator between God and man. What did Jesus do? He came to show us the ultimate truth. To show a world filled with lies and the truth about all things, God himself, and to make a way for us to enjoy life forever in that truth. And how does God call us to respond? Well, we read it earlier in the service. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are to live a life that is shaped by the truth that Jesus comes to show us, to abide in his words, to know the truth and live in the freedom that it brings. You shall not bear false witness, but we need to set this in the larger context, that God himself is the truth and hates lying. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so if you are a follower of Christ, if you say, I'm a friend of God, you too must be absolutely committed to the truth. And that doesn't just mean avoiding lying, although certainly it does mean that, but it means we need to be willing witnesses to the truth of things by our lives, 
by our words. Let's pray. God, you are the only true God, and we know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to make a way for us to know the truth about you. For some, Lord, we may have never accepted that truth yet. I ask by your Holy Spirit, even now, you would give them the conviction that this is the truth of the world, that Christ Jesus is your Son, fully God, fully man, the one mediator. For others of us, Lord, we accept that truth, and yet we need it to work its way through our entire life. There's areas where we're lying to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our boss, to our spouses. Lord, let us see that the uh, truth sets us free. Let us live in your truth and speak the truth to one another. Then, Lord, let us be faithful witnesses. Even, uh, even when it's costly, let us witness to the truth, the good news that Christ Jesus came to make a way for us. Amen.